Amen. Please be seated. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter 1. We'll look at verses 26 through 38 this morning. There are some Bibles available on the back table, uh, along with some um, things for the kids to color and uh, crayons and whatnot. So. So we're in a new series on the life of Jesus. Uh, This is our second week in this series that's going to go through Easter season. Um, Jesus, I mean, we're talking about him. Um, He is the, I think this is not controversial, this statement, he is the most important, uniquely influential person the world has ever known. Right? I'm sure that all the magazines who've had their most influential people of the year or people of history or um, whatever uh, have named him right at the top. Uh, everyone will admit that much at the very least that he's important and uh, uniquely important and influential in the world. Um, they'll admit that at the very least, whatever they might think of him as a person. But thinking about him as a person is absolutely essential, not just acknowledging um, his influence in the world, um, but coming to grips with who he is, who he actually is, and the ramifications of who he is. Uh, We all have instinctive reactions to Jesus, to what the Bible says about him and what the church teaches about him, and frequently those reactions are negative. Uh, They're um, just a, a rejection of him, kind of an instinctive rejection of him, him as a person, uh, something bothers us about who he is, um, something bothers us about what that means for our lives, and what we're looking at this morning is perhaps the place where people have been most offended, uh, most bothered, most scandalized by Jesus. Um, if people could deny the truth of this passage, then they could minimize or they could kind of rationalize away or dismiss altogether the ramifications of Jesus as a person. Uh, In fact, uh, what this passage tells us about Jesus is the most important truth. It's it's the most important truth, not just in Christian faith and thinking, but the most important truth that anyone could consider. Uh, This passage tells us where Jesus came from, and it tells us what that means about who he is. So... Uh, Let's pray, and then we'll read the passage. Father, we know that we have um, preconceptions about the world, prejudgments about you and about ourselves, and we know that those things need to be overcome for us to um, pay attention rightly to your word, to what you're truly saying to us, Um, and so we pray that you would overcome the biases and the tendencies, the instincts that we have to reject you, to reject uh, your son. We pray that you would help us to warmly receive him into this world, um, into our very hearts. Uh, We pray that you would help us by your Holy Spirit and in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke 1, 26 to 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he, Gabriel, came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. 
And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise be to you, O Christ. So all of this story takes place, as the text mentions twice, in the sixth month, which is a reference to uh, Mary's relative. We're not exactly sure how they were related, but they generally called each other cousins back then if they were related. Um, uh, Elizabeth, right? It's a, it's a reference to her pregnancy, which was also miraculous, which Gabriel had also visited um, Elizabeth's husband, Zechariah, to inform him beforehand that uh, they would be having a baby um, in, in spite of the fact that she had been barren her whole life and now is well beyond uh, childbearing years, um, and that that baby would be John the Baptist, who we know is Jesus' cousin. Um, so it takes place in the sixth month. Gabriel uh, is, the, is the messenger of good news, uh, sent from God uh, to, to talk about God's favor towards, towards God's people, to encourage God's people, and uh, he was the one who had appeared six months earlier to Elizabeth's husband, Zechariah. He'd, he'd appeared beforehand uh, in the scriptures um, also. And he was sent from God to Nazareth. It says it's a city, but really it, it was a town. Uh, it's an insignificant place. And he was sent to Mary, who was an insignificant girl. And really, um, most scholars agree that she was probably somewhere between 12 and 16 years old. Um, she had no pedigree. She had nothing to commend her to God. Uh, and Luke Timothy Johnson, who's a, a, a commentator on this passage, says, Mary is among the most powerless people in her society. She's young in a world that values age, female in a world ruled by men, poor in a stratified economy. That she should have found favor with God shows Luke's understanding of God's activity as surprising and often paradoxical, almost always reversing human expectations. So the angel came to her, the one you would least expect, and, uh, and said to her, greetings, O favored one. Uh, that can be translated in a few different ways. The, the Roman Catholic Church um, gets Hail Mary from this, right? Their prayer to Mary, because it means it's hail, it's uh, greetings, it's a, a rejoice, that kind of a greeting. Um, rejoice, one who has uh, received God's favor, received grace. That's what it means. So, greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And that's uh, biblical language for she was scared out of her mind. <laughs> um, when Gabriel had appeared 600 years before, uh, so Gabriel's old, um, when, when he had appeared 600 years before to Daniel, uh, it's recorded in the book of Daniel, 
uh, it says that Daniel passed out from fear. <laughs> he, he fell down on his face and went cold. Um, and Daniel was a pretty courageous fellow, right? Um, he endured some remarkable things in his life. He was a pretty courageous fellow, and he passed out at Gabriel's appearance. Gabriel's name means God is my strength. And an angel that represents the strength of God himself just will not come across as warm and fuzzy <laughs> and, uh, and inviting, no matter how in, uh, encouraging and comforting his words might be. Right? Um, so the poor girl was uh, scared witless. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, he'll be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. So uh, Gabriel's job description is to carry good news to God's people. That's his purpose, as far as we've seen it in the scriptures, is to be sent from God to, to carry a word immediately to God's people to, to encourage them to bring good news. And this is the best news anyone ever heard. Right? And we, uh, we often take it for a threat um, to consider that this is really what, what is true about Jesus. We, we consider it a threat, but really it's comfort and joy. Comfort and joy. The essence of what Gabriel was sent by God to say is that Mary's son, Jesus, would be God in the flesh. That's the essence of what he's saying. He would be God in the flesh. He would be both God and man. He's the divine son of God and the human son of David, the king of God's people, who uh, is uh, prophesied about in 2 Samuel 7 or Psalm 89, which we read this morning. Um, but this is the most profound mystery. It's the most important thing anyone could ever know, that, that Jesus would be both God and man. And uh, Mary, the poor girl, didn't really have her uh, theological thinking cap on. Um, she kind of got hung up on the mechanics of the whole business, asked the angel, how will this be since I'm still a virgin? Um, it may be that she was actually so young still that she was not able to have children yet. Um, but at the very least, she's saying that kind of the necessary biological interactions hadn't yet taken place for her to be able to become pregnant. And she may have uh, had some suspicion that Gabriel was not talking about the normal biological processes of pregnancy, or she may have just blurted out in her confusion, kind of like Peter did when he saw Jesus transfigured on the mountain. Um, uh, when you're faced with uh, stunning things, sometimes you just don't say the right thing, right? Um, either way, uh, it provided an opportunity for Gabriel to clarify for us um, the unique and divine origin of Jesus, because we probably would have expected Gabriel to say, you know, Mary asks, how will this be since I'm a virgin? Yes, well, you know, when you get a little older and uh, has a conversation about the birds and the bees, whatnot, and, uh, and your fiancé takes you to be his lawfully wedded wife, then right, you'd expect that kind of a response. But instead, the angel answered her that the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who is called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. So the story, N.T. Wright says, the story makes it clear 
that Jesus was conceived in Mary's womb before she had any sexual relations. As the Nicene Creed says, Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. We're going to confess that in a few minutes. <laughs> he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. Um, this is nothing like the religious myths uh, that have lustful gods forcing themselves upon women who then bear kind of demigod children. Uh, plenty of those myths going around the ancient world. Uh, you'll notice none of the Gospels even record a, con- a conception moment. They, they don't, uh, there's, there's just this prophecy. There's just this foretelling. And then in Matthew, um, when it was discovered after the fact that Mary had been with child, right? uh, there's no big event. There's no rapturous encounter. There's no mystical experience, nothing that you would be able to visualize in a Hollywood movie. Right? Um, simply the creative power of God the Most High through the Holy Spirit. Jesus' humanity was a new creation. God was working with the materials that already existed, but it was a new creation. He has no earthly father, yet he's connected with our humanity through his mother. And this, the angels, uh, the angel says, explains why he is called holy, the son of God. As a, as a person, this is where we get kind of theologically geeky for just a few minutes. Uh, as a person, Jesus has two natures. One person, two natures. And those natures are, one is divine, he is fully God, and one is human, he is fully human. And the fact that they're brought together in one person is called the hypostatic union. <laughs> hypostatic it just means personal. Uh, it's a Greek word for, for that. Um, two natures united in one person. As a person... He has only one father. He does not have an earthly father. He has one father, and that is God himself, and that's what's signified in the virgin birth. Um, The only explanation of this account is that Jesus is uniquely among all who ever lived. He is both God and man. There has never been anyone else like this. He's no demigod. He's no angel. He's no superhuman he is very God, and he is very man in one person. Before the conception of Jesus' humanity, that means that the Son of God was, uh, he preexisted from all eternity. He was begotten of the Father. Together with the Spirit, one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And uh, so the Son preexisted the conception and birth of Jesus. And at the right time, he then added the human nature to himself. He didn't give up any of his divinity. He just took on what he was not, which is uh, he added the human nature to himself. And John puts it this way. He says that the word became flesh. Uh, so in his two natures, then, divine and human, Jesus is the mediator between divinity and humanity, between God and humans. He represents God to us, And he represents us to God. As a human who never sinned, he was able to substitute himself for us, living as we were meant to live, and then dying in our place and for our sins on the cross under God's wrath. Donald McLeod has a book called The Person of Christ. Uh, It says says the race needs a redeemer, 
but cannot itself produce one. The Redeemer must come from outside. So God himself came from the outside, from eternity, from further than heaven, from eternity. God came, and as God, his union with humanity in himself, the Son of God taking humanity to himself in the same person, in the person of Jesus, it speaks clearly of his goodwill to us. The fact that he did that speaks clearly of his goodwill to us. It communicates his commitment to us. And it's the foundation for our trust in God and our knowledge of God. Because he is God in the flesh, then we can know God and we can be assured that God loves us. And after his death on the cross for us, God raised him from the dead and gave him as a human the throne of his father David, an everlasting kingdom over all humanity as a human. So now, as both God and man, Jesus lives forever and always will be both God and man. He will never cease to be both God and man. He resides physically as a human, as a glorified human. uh, He resides physically in heaven at the right hand of God, praying for us and representing us there. And it is as the Spirit unites us to his humanity, we're united to his humanity, that we receive the benefits of his humanity, which is union with God. His own humanity is united to his own divinity in himself, two natures in one person, right? Um, And as we have solidarity, solidarity and unity with his humanity, then we also participate in the very life of the Son of God, being able to call his Father our Father by his Spirit. This is what we remember when we look at the table every week. It's the fact that we enjoy, as uh, James Torrance said, the gift of participation through the Spirit in the incarnate Son's communion with the Father. All of this because of what we see in the person of Jesus because of what's true, what the, what the virgin birth says about him. The virgin birth means God's very presence among us, as one of us, the meeting of God and the world in one person. And it's an inconceivable mystery. It is the mystery. Saying what we have said about it, we're trying to describe something of it, right? But saying what we've said about it, uh, about the incarnation, doesn't remove the mystery, it points to the mystery, it establishes the mystery, it says this is what the mystery actually is. Jesus is God and man. You can't figure that out. But Jesus is God and man. Jesus is creator and creature. Jesus is eternal and historical. Jesus is infinite and definite. And Augustine said a long time ago, Man's maker was made man, that he, ruler of the stars, might nurse at his mother's breast, that the bread might hunger, the fountain thirst, the light sleep, the way be tired on its journey, that the truth might be accused of false witness, the teacher be beaten with whips, the foundation be suspended on wood, 
that strength might grow weak, that the healer might be wounded, that life might die. The mystery of the revelation of God is Jesus. He's the impossible person. But God has done it, for nothing will be impossible with God. We know instinctively the significance of the virgin birth, and like I said earlier, uh, if we could just deny the truth of this passage, if we could just minimize it, then, uh, then we can you know, brush it away, dismiss it altogether, the ramifications of who Jesus is as a person. Jesus' enemies knew this, right? This was very scandalous to them, and it's recorded in the Gospels that they mocked him as being an illegitimate child. They're trying to explain away the virgin birth by saying, oh, Mary just had an illegitimate relationship. They tried to deny the miraculous nature of his birth and therefore the significance of his person as both divine and human. But why would you want to do that? Why would you want to do that? Only if you hear this news as a threat. Only if the most important thing to you is your own supremacy. If the most important thing to you is your own autonomy from God, if you want to have nothing to do with God, but if you want to know God as he truly is in all of his freely gracious love, then this news about God come in the flesh, in the person of Jesus, is beyond good news. It's everything. Karl Barth says that the incarnation is the work of the love of God to a world distinct, nay, divided from him. It's the work of the love of God to a creature which he does not need, which has nothing to offer him, to which he owes nothing, which rather is permanently indebted to him for everything which has forfeited its existence in his eyes. Jesus is God come to us in love and mercy of his own free will. We have a God who freely chooses in the person of his Son, to unite the divine nature with humanity forever. We have a God who chose this and who did this when we were far from deserving it, when we were far from deserving his favor, when we were still his enemies. So you can see how this is it's the most important truth for all Christians in our faith and in our thinking. It's the most important truth anyone could consider it's the truth that makes everything else irrelevant in comparison. And it's the truth that we who know it are indebted to tell those who don't know it. In Jesus, we have God himself, so we have proof that we can know God, that we can trust God, that we can be united to God, and the only possible answer is to echo with Mary, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. May that be so for all of us. Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> Our Father, we do give ourselves to you in response to you giving yourself to us. You've freely chosen beyond our imagination in fulfillment of uh, more than our heart's desires. You have chosen before you even made the world to unite yourself to humanity through the person of your Son, who would be both God and man, so that we would know you 
so that we could have a relationship with you even more so that we could participate in your own life through Jesus. All of this is uh, too great for us. It's enough to capture our hearts and minds for the rest of our lives, even for the rest of eternity. Who you are and what you've done for us in the person of your son, Jesus, is truly startling and amazing and comforting, and it causes us great joy and thanksgiving. And so uh, in response to all of this, we uh, submit ourselves to you, as is the only proper response with Mary, we do say, um, we belong to you, and we will serve you. We love you because you loved us, and we live for you because you live for us. And we pray that if that is not the heart cry and prayer of every person in this room, that it would be by the power of your Holy Spirit, the Spirit who can bring everything out of nothing, who can bring life out of death, who can bring your son Jesus out of an empty womb. Um, may your spirit bring life to our hearts if they are dead and renew us in our faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.